On today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed number 88, Dave and I talk about our top five gadgets for teaching. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Hello, this is Bonnie Stahoviak, and I am once again joined by Dave Stahoviak. Welcome back to the show, Dave. I am glad to be back again. Would you quickly share with everyone listening what it was like for you at 11 o'clock last night and what you saw? Well, first of all, (laughs) one of my uh, challenges that I think many in this audience can relate to, for those of us who teach at night on occasion, which I do, and both have taught as an adjunct and in my training, training world, it is really hard to get to sleep after teaching a class late in the evening. So I often find myself. <laughs> I'm cracking up that you're apologizing so much that it was 11 o'clock at night. A lot of people go to bed after 11. Yeah, well, I try to get in bed earlier than that. So. That's not the interesting part. Talk about me. Talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> I see how this is going. People are already going on to the next podcast. Well, speaking of people you know, going on the next... has been going back to review what happened in episode one, and there's been some updates on Adnan in the court. So speaking of cereal, <laughs> I go onto iTunes last night at 11, 15, whatever it was, and I pull up the main iTunes podcast page, and there's cereal and all these other podcasts that everyone knows about. And then I, I had to do a double take, because right in the center of the screen featured on the main podcast page on iTunes is Teaching in Higher Ed. The big logo right in the middle there. Pretty amazing. And we still don't know how it happened. Although someone has to have manually made some effort because the logo is not the logo that we submitted to iTunes because it's a rectangular one and iTunes only has you submit a square one. So we're trying to figure out, is there someone from Apple who listens? If you are. (laughs) We want to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. Thank you to all cool. of you for supporting the show. It's been so fun over the last year and a half now to just see and get to know and build both of our networks, yours especially, through so many fabulously talented educators out there. So, And I'm excited to be back and to get to be part of that conversation. We're coming up with our list of top five gadgets for teaching. It's really hard to narrow down. I just knew we wanted to talk about a couple more of these in depth. Otherwise, we could have probably had the top 100 we have a lot of gadgets in this household. Let's just say that. We do. And we both use a lot in our professional work. And you, your guide that you have folks download when they get onto your subscription list, it, it remind me, what's the title of it again? It's a, is it a gadget guide or is it? Oh, a, no, 19 educational technology tools. Technology tools. Okay. Mm-hmm. And are there gadgets in there or is no. that more services and services, software? Services, yeah. So this is the first time we're really looking at gadgets specifically. And I wanted to start out with the least expensive item that will be on, well, maybe not the least. Mm, Yeah, I think it's the least expensive item on the list. And that is a remote. And when we talk about a remote, we're talking about a remote that likely plugs into a USB port on your computer. Although you also can have a remote where if you're projecting off of a tablet computer, you can oftentimes make your smartphone your, your remote or even your Apple Watch if you 
are one of those smartwatch users. But in Dave and my case, we just use really inexpensive remotes. I know in my case, it's because I like to lose them. And so I figure if I'm going to lose something, I'd probably rather lose it if it cost around $20 than if it cost around $80. I have been known to lose them. The nice thing is, though, I tend to also be able to find them again. So I, I don't think I've actually permanently lost one. I've just lost one for like six months. And then I find it later somewhere in a crevice or something. And I will put a link to the show notes in the one that I use right now. But I actually don't even know what it is off the top of my head. When I go to buy them, I just find an inexpensive one. And the biggest thing, which I pretty much think they all have now, is that you don't want to have to install any drivers on your computer. You just want to be able to plug it in and it works. And mine now, I don't like the fact that I have to turn it on manually because it took a little while to train me that I had to turn it on because I was used to ones that just ran off the battery all the time. But I will say the batteries last a lot longer. And so the one I have now, the little, I think they call it a dongle maybe that plugs into the USB actually fits inside of the remote. And that's nice too. It's just one less thing for me to lose. And with the remotes, as far as features go, I have owned, as I said, more expensive ones and less expensive ones. And really all I need is a forward button, a back button, and then a blank button that will blank the screen. I use that quite a bit. And and many people probably already know this, but when you're running PowerPoint or Keynote or even Haiku Deck, if even if you're running one of those types of software off of the web and projecting your presentation onto your screen, hitting the B key will black out the screen. And it's really nice because then you can not have it shining in your eyes or you could lift up the screen and write on the whiteboard, I mean, whatever you it is you wanted to do. But your projector is still on. So as soon as you hit that B key again, or in this case, press the button on the remote to bring it back, it all comes back and you don't have to wait for the projector to warm up again. So I oftentimes do that when I'm setting up for a large presentation. I'll make sure everything's working right. I'll hit that B key so the light's not shining in people's eyes and then I'll bring it back whenever is appropriate. You mentioned you'll put a link in the show notes to this one that you use. And the other term that's used for these is wireless presenter. That'll get you exactly where you want to go if you look this up online. And I've used one, Bonnie, Logitech, by the way, makes some great ones. And I think both you and I are using Logitech ones right now, and they're fairly inexpensive. I bought one 11 or 12 years ago when I became a Carnegie instructor, and I'm still using the same one. And up until a couple months ago, I was still on the same two AAA batteries which I know is not even, but over 10 years, it had lasted so long. It had never had an issue connecting to any device. Somehow the, the hardware has always worked and interfaced with every computer. So I think you're better off of using something like that that you bring in yourself versus relying on whatever remote might be in a classroom or or a, a facility because sometimes you have a giant mouse and you have to carry that around. And I found that having the wireless presenters lowers the friction that you have to worry about. Okay, do I get to, I need to get used to a different device in a different room and you can use the same place, same thing everywhere. One of the things that I've been doing lately is I do like to show short video clips in many of my classes. And, but one of the downsides is if you have an unreliable internet connection wherever you're going to be, I don't necessarily, our, our campus's wireless connection is very reliable for me, but I can think about there are certain other locations where I have presented where the Wi-Fi signal is either just poor or non-existent. So I like to have one less complication that could happen, and I like to download the videos to my computer. And I have found if these videos are located on YouTube, there's a program which I will post a link to in the show notes, and this is specifically for the Mac, but they have the same things for 
the PC and we'll post a, a link to an alternative for the Windows users. But I go to YouTube, I find the little two minute clip that I want and I just copy the link and I go over to this software and I paste it in and it downloads that file to my computer so that if I don't have access to the internet for whatever reason, I'm not gonna have to have that interrupt the flow of my class. So what I typically do is I set it up in PowerPoint where I set it up that it'll go to the screen to the slide where that video is located on my PowerPoint. And then that's my cue for queue up whatever it is you wanna say before this video starts playing. And then I click one more time on the remote and it begins the video. And it works really well because then I can be anywhere in the classroom. I like to move around quite a bit. I don't like to have to hover right by a podium. In fact, I always move the podiums out of my way. And I don't have to be right by my computer either to have to go and actually manually. The, the default way if you insert a video into PowerPoint is you have to go with your mouse and click on that little arrow to make it play. And I just like it to set up that's one extra step inside of PowerPoint or Keynote to have it animate that way where it'll play on a click. And by the way, the clicking of the remote is counted as a click. And it's just really nice as a presenter. I get to that slide. Okay, you know what that video is supposed to be. You know how you want to set that up, what the student should be watching for. And then one more click and off we go. And it starts playing. When it's over, one more click, I go to the next slide. Fabulous. Very seamless too. We are going from the less expensive route of remotes to the <clears throat> more expensive, much, much, much more expensive. I have not shared at all on the podcast yet about my Christmas present, which was a very generous Christmas present. And that is the iPad Pro and the new Apple Pencil. And as Bonnie is talking here, I am I have I have grabbed her iPad Pro and I am playing with the Apple Pencil. And it's the first time, even though you've had this for a month or so, I don't think I've actually tried it with the pencil. Mm. And it is very cool. It's remarkable. So one thing about the iPad Pro, just to share my my observations so far, this thing is large. And I knew that going into it. I knew it was big. I went to my most recent eye doctor's appointment. I am in my mid-40s, by the way. And this is what happens, apparently, to many of us when we get in our mid-40s, is we lose, I forget what the vision is called, but I have to hold things farther away from my face in order to be able to put them into focus. So I crack up because I do a lot of reading and a lot of watching of television via the iPad in bed laying on my side. So I had to, I couldn't go into the Apple store and say, could I just borrow that iPad Pro real quick and lay on one of your tables on my side and see how this is going to work. But it all does work out fine just as long as Dave's not in bed yet, because I do need to have it at a, some distance from my head in order for it to work correctly. But it is large and it is not a device where you're going to carry it around in your hand and be holding it while you're writing on it and not resting it on something. But I never have a situation where I'm not resting it on something. It's resting on a desk. It's resting on, like I said, where I'm laying on my side in bed. And I, so I don't find it to be inconvenient. The bag that I carry to work with me is a rolling bag. So it's not like the extra added weight. It's not really that, that terribly heavy as far as packing it with you any heavier than a computer would be. A laptop would be, it's actually light when you compare it to some laptops. But anyway, I, so far it's been great, but it is one of those things, my opinion is, it's in addition to a laptop. I would never say, oh, great, I can just be done with laptops. In fact, I find myself just really using my laptop more and more these days because I have all these really cool setups 
And I find that I also carry my iPad with me because I use it quite a bit too. I do like the case that I got. I decided I didn't want the extra bulk of an external keyboard. If I'm going to be sitting in a meeting, then I'll just carry an external keyboard with me for that day in my bag. But for the most part, I just didn't want to use the one that Apple has with the keyboard. And I'm happy with that choice. And the case that I have is great. It's from Cena Cases. I'll post a link to it. It rotates the screen so that I could have it propped up either horizontally or vertically. I don't use that feature that much, but if I needed it, it's there. Most of the time I just prop it up on something like Dave has it right now propped against a book and that works great for me. I think that the compelling case for this is if, and by case I mean the reason for it, uh, (laughs) is if you are going to be using a lot of things you need to be doing writing on. So if you're going to be giving either feedback to students or you're in a more creative or artistic field, I think that there's a huge case to be made for this kind of a uh, this kind of a piece of hardware. And I, I was thinking, Bonnie, as I was the last couple of weeks, uh, I remember I got sent a whole bunch of PDFs by one of my colleagues and needed to annotate things on them. And and you can do that with the PDF readers and you can highlight and you can insert in text, but it's really pretty cumbersome. And even on even on a desktop, you know, you have to create the text box and then you have to type it in. And this I was thinking as I received that that this is this is a great application for that if you're writing handwritten notes to people and, and want to capture that or do drawings. Fabulous. And and of course the thing to know is it's almost I think it's almost a certainty that Apple's going to probably support the Apple Pencil and the smaller iPads going forward. So, Mark Hofer, who is from the Luminaris podcast, and I've been on that podcast before. He's been on my podcast before. I suspect the same will be true in a few months. We'll probably go and visit each other's shows again. But he's asked me to document my pen casting workflow because I used to use an Echo pen from Livescribe to create the pen cast. And I just got so frustrated with their proprietary PDF format and just pretty much that it requires students to be at a physical computer, not at a mobile device to watch them. I wanted there to be more flexibility and they just have changed their platforms too many times. And I decided I wanted something on the iPad and I'll be talking a little tiny bit more about this when we get to the recommendation segment, since it's software and not hardware. But I can tell you as far as the Apple pencil goes, I am so sold on that thing. It is absolutely an incredible experience and it's really hard to describe until you actually use it for yourself, but it works to me even better than a pencil or a pen would on a piece of paper. And that I could never have said about a stylus before, including the fact that it knows when you have it curved to the side a little bit and actually makes the pen or the pencil mark thicker. It depends on what kind of tool that you've selected and whatever app it is that you're using. But it's remarkable to me. It can tell the angle that the pen or the pencil tool that you have selected is at and actually adjust it like that. They have calligraphy pens and some of the apps and things like that. I mean, it is, that's amazing. And it also can tell the pressure. It's not just the angle, but also the pressure. I have no idea the technology that makes that work, but I am just here to tell you it works and it's amazing. The other thing is it charges via the iPads. What is that port called, Dave? Oh, the, is it lightning? Lightning port. The lightning port. And so I just, it was low on batteries this morning. I plugged it in and it's a pretty quick charge and off we go. I know you're going to do a more detailed post you mentioned on this, but for those who haven't heard you talk about Pencast before, what what exactly, like what's the deliverable to students that they receive and what's the medium you're using for that now? They get to see me writing 
and they also get to hear my voice talking. And then I actually instruct them to draw along with me. So they're sitting in front of a paper and a pencil taking notes. And what I found that it does actually is teaches them how to take more visual notes. Mm. And they say that they get do much better on the test. The students who tend to get A's say, how did you study for the test? And PenCasts is right up there as a number one answer because it helps them just, they're taking the test and they see the silly, ridiculous seven-year-old drawing that I did of something in in their minds. And that just helps them. It's It's almost like doing something on a on a blackboard or a whiteboard and just seeing that and hearing you talk through it and writing mm-hmm. and I've I've heard you say many times like how much your students really like that. And so when they see it is it on a video now? Is this allow mm-hmm. you to oh, okay so so people can watch it anywhere. MP4 they can watch it anywhere. Right nice. now I'm uploading nice. it to YouTube and doing an unlisted video mm-hmm. that I then link to inside of our learning management system, but our school just adopted a video tool called Kaltura. And that's supposed to be just the bee's knees of streaming video services. So I'm really looking forward to getting in and playing with that. Awesome. Can't wait to hear more about that when you do it. Because I think there's there's a lot of applications for that uh, in higher ed and also business applications too. This next one is a favorite gadget for sure. As to whether or not it's 100% just because it's related to teaching, I can't necessarily say that. It is the Apple Watch. And Dave and I have had the Apple Watch for about the same length of time about when they first came out. And before I would ever tell anyone to get one, you have to have the patience that it is what we call a 1.0 product. It gets sometimes a little bit glitchy. For me, sometimes I don't get text message little buzzes, or at least I don't feel them come in. And then I happen to look and notice that there's a little red dot there. And I go, oh, I didn't even know somebody texted me. And that happens to me a pretty decent amount. But Dave and I don't mind having a little bit of patience for what it can do. And as far as my teaching, I'll try to keep my comments limited to that, although it's very hard to do. I love, okay, okay, I'm already going to (laughs) stop. One of the things it does is track your fitness levels. And it wants you to, the minimum goals are 30 minutes of aerobic activity per day, 12 hours where you stand up for at least a minute once per hour. And then the last one is just an overall calories burned. And it keeps track of your heartbeat, so it has some estimate of your calories burned within it. And it's kind of fun. Occasionally, while I am teaching, apparently I get some aerobic activity if I get really excited. It doesn't happen often, but I laugh because I'll occasionally get done teaching and have maybe four minutes of aerobic activity during a class session. It cracks me up. And it's really funny. I had no idea. Yeah. And when I'm teaching, of course, I will have those easy days where 12 hours on my feet is not a problem. You know, I, I get home and can definitely feel that I've been standing a lot that day. So that is an easy milestone to accomplish. But as far as teaching, I like that I can set a timer easily. The students get such a kick out of it when I'll say set a timer for X number of minutes. And that's a really convenient thing. I can be anywhere in the classroom. I like that it's really easy to change the settings if I want to put it on do not disturb so I don't get text messages. I don't actually get that many text messages and it's not that terribly distracting to me if I feel that little buzz. The buzz on your wrist is really hard to describe because it's not like... I really get irritated by the vibration of a cell phone. It's startling to me. And this is not any kind of a startling thing. It's like a gentle tap, tap, tap on your wrist. Yeah, it's really hard to describe if you haven't felt it. Um, Not startling at all. No. I've found so many interesting applications for this. Because you remember when this first was announced, it's like, oh my gosh, I am so not buying this. I do not need the internet on my wrist. And Apple's marketing machine got to me and, and my geekiness got to me. And I decided, oh, I'll try it out. 
And I totally use this differently than I thought I would. What I found is quite the contrary to being interrupted more. I actually find it to be really helpful being present. And here's just one example. And this is true. You've used this with students. I use this sometimes with our son, Luke, is bedtime is in however many minutes. And rather than sitting there and me keeping an eye on the clock or looking at my watch, I just set a timer and... I say, okay, I know bedtime's in 25 minutes. I'll set a timer. I'll even, he'll do it with me. We'll set it. And then I can totally focus on him. I don't need to think and worry about the time or how much time's left before bedtime. We can totally be engrossed in our game or activity or whatever it is. And then, you know, when I get alerted, I get alerted. And so it really helps me to stay more present with him during that time that we have. And you do this with students. I know, Bonnie, where you set a time a lot of times on your your watch And that way you don't have to sit there and be worried about looking at the clock or how much time do I have left? And you can really be that much more present with that person. So that's something that's been hugely helpful to me. The other thing that I love about the Apple Watch, which I did not expect when I first got it, is that you can dictate into it and it remind you, have it remind you to do things. So if you push and hold the button and just go remind me to whatever, it will automatically put that onto your reminders list on in the Apple ecosystem on your phone. And then you can have it do things with that, whatever you want it to do. Mine goes automatically to OmniFocus, which is my task management system. So this happens all the time. In fact, last night I was teaching a class and I'm team teaching with someone when the instructor said, oh, we should do this at the next class. And right at, at the end of the class, after all the participants had left. And so right away I'm on my watch and I push and I said, remind me next time I teach session four to do this. And she's like, whoa, did that really just happen? Like that went somewhere? I was like, yeah, it goes on in my list. And so once a day, I have a task to remind me to go through and clear that list and put that wherever it needs to go. So it goes from that list to Evernote or my class notes or wherever. So what's what's great about it is anytime I have an idea on how to do something, even literally driving down the road, like I'm listening to a podcast, you don't even have to touch it. I can just raise my wrist and just talk into it and say, remind me to look up this book if I hear about a book and a podcast or something and never take my eyes off the road. And I can, I can record my thoughts and anytime I have ideas for articles or teaching, it's all right there. And it's really cool. And I use that many, many times a day. Anything else you want to add about using the Apple watch in our teaching? I don't think so from a teaching standpoint. I mean, there's so many different applications you could use for it, but I've just found it really to be great for those two things. My absolute favorite feature you told me about after we owned it for about two months. And that was I am notorious for losing my iPhone all of the time in the house. I don't literally lose it. It's just somewhere in the house. And you told me if I swipe up and press that little button, it will ping my iPhone no matter where it is, even if it's on silent, which my iPhone is on silent most of the time. Oh, lifesaver. Yeah. Lifesaver. That's cool. That's That's, very cool. I use that more than anything else. I think it's a funny little tether for for my iPhone. And the last gadget that we're going to talk about before we get to the recommendations segment is a webcam, which most of us have a webcam, whether it's on our computer or laptop or whatever device it is we're using our tablet. And I say this because there's just something about the connection. It's not quite as good as in-person eye contact, but it's getting pretty darn close. And I have shared the story before when I was talking to, I don't actually remember which episode it was, but I was talking about that the synchronous video meeting tool that I use at, at one of the institutions I teach at 
broke in the middle of a session and you had to come in, Dave, and be the hero and set us up quickly <laughs> with your Zoom account. Mm-hmm. And so Zoom is a just one of the many, and I do mean many, tools that allow you to have meetings with people via webcam. And there are, like I said, there are many of them out there and many of them focus on being really feature rich. And Zoom is one of those that just gets out of your way. It does what it needs to do, but it is incredibly easy to use. I did one time what I didn't, I tell myself and my students never to do, which is to just experiment (laughs) without having practiced in advance to use its breakout room features, which Doug McKee talked about when he was on that he was looking forward to using those. It's just seamless. I clicked breakout rooms. How many breakout rooms did I want? Did I want it to set them up for me or did I want to set them up? And then it even, if I had the algorithm do it for me, then I could even just drag them around if I wanted to just tweak a couple of them. And it it just worked. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So I would say that I was explaining, I did a workshop for my campus yesterday and I was explaining it just like Doug McKee did. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> as far as it's like you're on the Brady Bunch and I can see all nine of the Brady Bunch, but then Marsha, 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 and then it goes and just focuses on Marsha because she's talking. And then it goes back out to the nine. And then Dave starts talking. I should use another character. Peter starts talking. And then we get a close up on Peter and then it goes back out. I think Brady Bunch for our generation is the perfect analogy for that. And it all just works. You're not pressing buttons to get it to focus on another person. And it really does start to feel like we're having a conversation in person. And it's very hard to allow yourself to get distracted by whatever's on your computer when you know that you're expected at any moment to engage. We've had a few guests on the Coaching for Leaders podcast that I host talking about this from a business context, and there are more and more organizations that are starting to have the expectation for their teams that when they have a team meeting, that rather than just connecting by conference call, by audio, that they connect by video, because it really does encourage people to be a lot more present to the meeting. You're not doing four other things when you're on video, and it allows people to have a much richer communication. They don't do that for every meeting necessarily, but for the key and critical meetings. And I have used Zoom with great success with the Coaching for Leaders Mastermind groups that I facilitate, Bonnie, and it is it is a great application. And one of the things I really like about it, in addition to what you said, is it's fairly inexpensive. So even if your organization hasn't invested in it for, I think it's I think about $100 a year, I mean, you can get a membership that does pretty much anything you need to do. It's very inexpensive. It's extremely reliable. I've never had an issue with it. And you mentioned this ease of use, but the key thing with the ease of use with Zoom is ease of use for the end user. It's easy for the host to use it, but I've I've yet to have a person who's really had any difficulty setting up and using it either on a tablet or a phone or a computer. It seems like it's just so much simpler than a lot of the other solutions out there, even though some of the other solutions do more. You don't really need a lot more in most contexts, unless you're doing really fancy webinars, things like that, that I think most people are probably not doing in a classroom setting. If it does video great, it does chat great, the breakout room's great. So it's it's really fabulous for that. If you haven't used a tool like this before, one of the biggest learning curves for yourself or for your students is actually easy to resolve, but it's just the comprehending that you can't just have it play through your speakers and then talk through your microphone and not have issues with feedback. Because what's happening is the sound of everybody, including you talking, is coming out of your speakers 
going back into your microphone and that's creating this loop of feedback. And so some people have said like, oh, then you just mute yourself. I'm going, no, it doesn't help if you mute yourself because if you ever want to say anything then, and plus it just for, if it's a small enough group, having to turn off and turn back on mute is really a pain and can cause some distractions in the conversation that don't really need to be there. By the way, Zoom does have really easy, somebody's dog was barking and you can mute everyone really fast till you figure out whose dog is barking and you can figure it out because their volume indicator is going to be g- going and showing you who it is and then you can unmute everybody else and mute the person with the dog or whatever and, the case And usually may. it's the person that suddenly looks nervous and is frantically <laughs> looking around or, or you see a dog come into the screen. <laughs> you figure <laughs> That's out. a good indicator. I think it was probably that <laughs> dog. Maybe that dog that just tackled that person on this video might be I where the noise is coming from. that's probably them. But at any rate, it's easily solved with headphones. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, one of the highest quality of sounds, as far as I'm concerned, that I've had on however many episodes of this podcast I've done, 88 episodes, was Jesse Stommel when he was on. And we were just talking over Skype and he was using the Apple headset that came with his phone mm-hmm. that goes in the in-ear and then it has a microphone. He sounded great. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually outside on his porch and it's just really high quality sound. So it doesn't have to be anything expensive as long as they're in ear or over ear headphones and some kind of a microphone that's going to avoid then having it be your device's input microphone that's taking it in. You're going to have all the issues. So that's the, the biggest thing if you're going to think about how do I start incorporating virtual meetings into my classes? It isn't going to be the software because as Dave said, by the way, Zoom has a free account too that can maybe take you far enough. That- yeah, we've got a link for it. I'll, I'll get it to you. Um, and the key thing is I, I think the headphones is the key piece for telling students or participants. I don't worry so much about the microphone piece because every device has a microphone in it these days. And if you start telling people about, oh, they need to get a microphone, that's like a lot harder for most people because they don't have microphones laying around. If you're doing a podcast or something professionally, it's a different story. But as long as you get people using headphones, their microphone that's in their device is going to pick it up to be good enough for a classroom experience. Mm -hmm. So you'll you'll be fine doing that. Just training them and training yourself to know that you're not going to ever do a session without those headphones on to resolve those issues of the feedback. Anything else you want to add? Any any gadgets you want to throw in before we go to the recommendations? If you want to go beyond just your built-in webcam in your device, whatever your device is, a lot of the tablets and phones really have great cameras in them, but some of the, the laptops and desktops don't have great cameras. We'll put a link to the Logitech webcam that has 1080p HD quality on it. It's it's the best in class for this. So if you're doing a lot of video work or you're going to be doing a lot of virtual things, it is really fabulous. And it's basically the gold standard of webcams out there right now. And it pretty much works with any computer and any operating system. This is the point in the show where we each give a recommendation. I'm going to recommend a tool that'll go right along with if you'd like to start trying out pencasts or anything visual in your presenting. It's called, some people say doceri and some people say docari. You could pronounce it however you want, but it's D-O-C-E-R-I and it is an iPad app. Now I will say getting started was a little bit just to wrap my head around it because there's two different ways you can use it. You can use it to present things on your iPad And in my case, presenting, meaning drawing like a seven-year-old, like we described these pen casts earlier, and then recording my voice on top of that. Or you can use it where there's actually a, a Mac app where you can be projecting 
on PowerPoint and your slide can be on the screen and then you can be drawing on your iPad or your students can be drawing on the iPad and that's projected on the screen. Hmm. That is not what I have experimented with yet and that's an extra expense. I just use the Doceri app on my iPad and like I said, I draw and then I, I replay the drawing. What's so neat about it is I can speed up and slow down the drawing or even pause it. So I don't have to have the timing worked out perfectly the first thing I do is I do the drawing and I can take as long as I want. Cause later on again, it, it actually, it just, it edits out my pauses. If I went and grabbed a cup of water and came back, it's, it's not going to have actually recorded that entire time I was gone. It's just the strokes that it's recording. Interesting. It's really smart. And then it's super easy to control as far as speeding it up, slowing it down, pausing it when I go to record. One of the things I had such trouble with the pen cast that I used the live scribe pen with is I would have to draw and talk at the same time. So what I used to do would be to draw it in advance in pencil and then trace over it with the pen while I was talking. But it still was remarkably hard to even trace and speak at the same time. And I feel so much more relaxed now. I feel like the pen casts are turning out so much better now by just getting the drawing part done first. It's kind of fun because then at the end, when I'm going back and reviewing, I can even just add little color and highlights to go back and say, oh, we looked at three things today. We looked at this. We looked at this. And I'm drawing and highlighting just to, to bring that extra added benefit. It's really, really been fun. I really like it a lot. It's a great app. Again, took me a little bit just to wrap my head around it and to get a little bit of the workflow. I would say it's not necessarily the most intuitive app I've ever used, but it was so worth the time that it took me to learn it. And it has now just become my go-to tool. I absolutely love it. Can't recommend it enough. I would suggest you check it out. Even if you don't have the iPad Pro, by the way, any iPad that you have, that you have a stylus. In fact, even if you didn't want to have a stylus, but you just wanted to project images, you can import images, you can import video, actually draw on top of a video, as weird as that sounds. You can talk over the video. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can import into it. It's a very powerful and robust tool. Sounds exciting. I, I might do some of that at some point, and I'm going to use that tool if I do. So my recommendation is a service called Airtable. Airtable is a service that allows you to create databases up in the cloud. The best way I could describe it, Bonnie, for folks who may not be familiar with using databases is it would be like a super-powered version of Excel, and some, some things it does better than Excel, some things not as well, but it's like a version of Excel in the cloud on steroids. And I, I say that because what's really powerful about it is it's all web-based for one, so it's very easy to share with other people. And you can, of course, do that with Excel files, but like I can set up an account, give you access to things you may want to see and and collaborate on it. But there's tons of collaboration tools that are there, but also integrations with other services. And I've been thinking as I've been starting to play with Airtable for just tracking some of my documentation and, and course information for my work with Carnegie, Bonnie, I've been thinking that there might be an application for like student rosters and some of the things you do to automate some of that and pull in integrations from other places. And it integrates with, is it Zapier? Is that how you say it? That service that does all those different integrations with all kinds of different tools. So there's lots of things you can do to put information in a database, to create records, to export, import. Anyway, I'm just at the very beginning stages. I've just been messing with it for a few days, but it looks really interesting. So if you are dealing with large amounts of data in your classes or with your students, and there's places that you need to house data or potentially give students access to, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And they've got a free version and then they've got paid versions, but there's a ton you can do with the free stuff. 
And one cautionary note, I'm not an attorney, but I do play one occasionally on TV, is that the FERPA regulations would prohibit you from putting student data on something like this. So you'd want to be cautious about not putting any student data up there. But I could certainly see data sets that weren't privacy related to our students going up there and just the the creative side of getting the students engaged in terms of the social aspect of it. I think it's really interesting. I'm not experimented with it yet. I did go just to try to wrap my head around what it was and and look at some of their demos and samples. And that, that gave me a better idea. It looks really incredible. Yeah, interesting. And it's good. I'm glad you mentioned about the FERPA thing because I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's I, I'm just I've been reading. Uh, there's been some conversation on Twitter related. So it is top of mind these days. It's it's so interesting of how uh, just how we're navigating this whole world of technology and privacy and all the rules and regulations. You know, in some cases, some of the things we keep online, I'd, I'd argue, are more secure than what we've been doing previously. And yet, you know, the regulations don't necessarily reflect that in a lot of cases. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, you know, be mindful of that, obviously, for your institution and for your uh, yourself as far as how you're using those things. Well, Dave and I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And selfishly, I hope that you enjoyed it so much that you're willing to go write a review or rate it because... It's fun to be on the front page of I've iTunes podcast. You could surprise. <laughs> you could help us, you know, maybe stay there or get back there someday when they take it off and put someone else's up there. It'd be really fun. So you do that, by the way, at teachinginhighered.com slash iTunes if you listen to iTunes or slash Stitcher if you listen to Stitcher. Whatever service you use, we'd love to see a rating or a review, and it doesn't take that long to do it. And if you are looking for more tools that would be good companions to things we talked about today, the Educational Technology Resources Guide that you've published is a really great place to also be thinking about how you could use these in integration with that. So you can get that by joining the the weekly updates you send and the articles you write Mm -hmm. every week. And there's lots of fun things in there. In fact, you just wrote this past week. I'm I'm trying to think of it was it was a really cool article and I'm totally using the on do it. app. Oh yes, using the do app. That was yeah. really neat. Yeah, and how you use that in your teaching. I love that. Got a lot of clicks on that one. You did. Yeah, you so did. you'll automatically get the show notes with all the links of the things that Dave and I talked about, as well as the typically weekly article I write on either teaching or productivity. You can subscribe at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And all as always, we welcome your feedback. We get so many great ideas for topics and show guests. You can do that at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback or just send me a tweet that's at bonnie b-o-n-n-i 208 and dave is at a really harder one to spell dave stahoviak that's an easy one to spell so (laughs) we'll just put a link in the notes how's that sounds good to me we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening yeah thanks for having me back